0: Welcome to Business Drivers, the podcast dedicated to helping you be a more effective digital leader. Each episode, we connect you to leaders and ideas that unlock new growth, both professional and personal. Business Drivers is presented by Farron, and I'm your host, Jim Keen. Today our guest is Jason Churchling. Jason is a consultant with Solution Design Group here in Minneapolis, but before SDG, Jason did some great product strategy work at Admentum, Go-Kart Labs, Capella, Jostens, and the Star Tribune. He's always been at the leading edge of the merging digital practices and has been well-respected for his experience and the work that he's gotten done. At Farron, we spent a lot of time talking with product leaders overall about how to get things moving in org. So Jason's insight into the methods and approaches he uses were really helpful to me as we work to support product leaders and their marketing teams, especially as we're getting ready for the next fiscal year in 2022. As a fellow liberal arts major, I appreciate his ability to make connections that others might not see and his thoughtful assessment of what's going on in our space and generally his take on stuff. He also shared some good perspective on how managers can evolve their leadership styles for new and smarter ways of working. I apologize in advance for the sidetrack into the world of Melville, whaling, and unreadable novels, but that's what happens when you get two English majors in a zoom. You can follow Jason on Twitter at searchlight five. Hope you enjoy this great talk with Jason Churchley. Jason, thanks for making time for this. Uh, I'd love to hear how you're talking with your teams about planning for 2022? Specifically, you know, any longer term technology trends that you're paying attention to that's going to guide your thinking and and how you're leading your teams?
1: You know, one thing that I think has been a trend and will continue and will accelerate, um, and in some of the work I do in consulting, I'm working with all sorts of interesting companies that maybe didn't start life as a technology company, uh, weren't born as, you know, some digital startup, but maybe have a long history before the internet era, even before the PC era, um, but have had to evolve uh, into becoming technology companies. Um, You know, we've talked a lot over the last few years about digital transformation, and some of those sorts of shifts. Um, But I think companies are really becoming, and maybe the pandemic has accelerated this a bit, are becoming software companies like real software companies. They've had IT departments running internal software. Sometimes that internal software starts to... I don't know, leak out to the public, like we've got a tool that we use for managing customers and then, hey, why don't we let them self-serve and update their own data or something? But really starting to think, integrating the work they do in whatever business they're in. You know, we make lawnmowers or dog food or whatever it is. um, And how might we think about uh, using technical tools, digital experiences so that my dog food shows up on my desk or on my front steps when my, um, when my dog is hungry. I mean, I'm sort of making stuff up here, but I think that's going to be a continued trend.
0: So I want to ask a question about that. You know, when when uh, we do work with companies that aren't native software companies that are becoming software companies, something that we see pretty commonly is that we have to teach parts of the organization what product teams are and how they work. Yep. So imagine you're in a situation where you have to explain to a CMO that doesn't know much about digital product teams, you know what they are and why they should care. So how would yeah. you do that? Like if you had, like if you were put in a conference room and yeah, had yeah. That?
1: it's a great question, and I run into that as well. I think I start with the customer, the user, that that customer and user has a need, and we might not know exactly what it is yet. It's sort of, you know, we we've got sort of the germ of an idea, um, but to explore how to respond to that need requires a variety of skills. You've got to do some research. You've got to do some Um, design work up front, some prototyping, that's going to require user experience skills, it's going to require technical skills, etc. So when I think of a product team, I think of a team empowered, a cross-functional team with multiple skills empowered to Uncover and then pursue the solutions to problems that customers might have. Um, and to, to presume that we know what that is up front, um, which is maybe a little bit more of kind of the traditional technology waterfall process where we say, Let's spend some time, you know, somebody has an idea and they're going to define all the requirements for it. And then the technologists take the blueprint and build the thing that was handed to them Um, isn't really the way we get the best product. We have to kind of get out into the business or into the customer's contexts and respond to what they need. So that's, that's sort of how I'd explain that to a, to a business that's, you know, maybe worked in a different kind of context before, like this is a creative and kind of responsive act.
0: So um, that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, the, you're, you're essentially talking about how the develop, how the development teams change the way that they do what they do in some ways, but yeah but if I'm the CMO, why should I care about that? Is, is that the, you know, is that like my contractor explaining to me that they've gone from Imperial to metric or, you know, (laughs) should I care?
1: Um, You care because it's uh, your business succeeds. If you respond well to the needs of your customers and there might be interesting ways to deliver that kind of response um, that, competitors haven't yet hit upon or have hit upon in different kind of ways, or that you guys haven't really satisfied as well as you think you have. And, you know, your your growth as a business will come from uncovering and responding to those needs. I mean, when I think of a product, that's, that's my kind of cheeky definition of what a product is. It's that response to the need of a human being, usually one that, you know, confers benefit to the receiver as well as to the provider, because people are willing to pay me money for it, et cetera. So.
0: So I want to talk about your experience leading product teams and, you know, your, your work with other folks that are developing products is is it possible to teach curiosity you know cuz cuz i've seen uh, that as a differentiator between you know average and good product people can you teach it yeah that? What,
1: what what a great question i think you can learn um Uh, You can learn. Well, maybe you can't, but you can learn humility. And I think humility is an important part of curiosity. Like you can start from sort of inspecting and recognizing your current situations, your own biases. Um, And then you if you have that kind of humility, then you take this kind of position of wanting to learn about what's next. There are even little simple mental models. I don't know if you've heard of like OODA loops, observe, orient. Uh, decide, act, things like that, which, you know, pretty simple. Uh, I think that comes out of a military context, like the Air Force, where you're flying around, and as you've got to sort of recognize where you are right now, uh, take in information, orient yourself to that information, make decisions about it, and you're always kind of looping back, Uh, Should I act before, you know, don't act before I've made the right kind of decision and oriented myself? Do I need to go back and reorient myself? Those sorts of models where if you just, again, pretty simple thinking about what stage you're in, I think that can help uh, engender curiosity um, because it teaches me to recognize, I don't know, limitations, other points of view, um, contexts, those sorts of things.
0: I, I like that you led with uh, empathy, and I think you said humility. Um, I, I think a lot of business teaches people to lead with confidence and certainty. Mm-hmm. And I think at the heart of what you're talking about is the the foundational uh, belief that I might be wrong. Yeah, I, yeah. I might not be right about this. I yeah. might have to go observe and and uh, and make some decisions that
1: uh, yeah I might not that, have thought about. That- your confidence, it might have a good reason, you know, I'm well trained and an expert on this sort of thing. And uh, by gum, I know what to do. But there's, you know, you are by definition, just one brain um, among a sea of brains. And there's all sorts of other points of view. And, you know, again, I think if we can have that kind of self-aware humility, we can make maybe better decisions for our market and for our business.
0: So we're, we're recording this In what I thought was going to be the tail end of a pandemic, but seems like it's actually a messy middle of a pandemic. (laughs) Um, And the work of a product leader, as you're saying, requires empathy and humility and listening to consumers. How do you build that now? Yeah. You know, how how are you and your teams working to get that empathy in a time where we can't actually go out and see you know, we can't we can't go out and listen. We can't follow people home. So how do you, yeah. how are you doing that?
1: Yeah, it's a challenge, um, certainly. But I, I think you, you've got to be kind of intentional about it. You've got to recognize that people are in maybe a bit of a weird state. Um, even when dealing with your own teams and coworkers and, and customers recognizing the humanness of people. And, and maybe there's a way that this pandemic, this is me being an optimist, but maybe there's a way that the pandemic uh, despite all the devastation of it can help us remember that we're all dealing with stuff. Cause suddenly I'm like talking to humans and I see the house that they live in, in a way I didn't before. I was working with a client uh, just last week and um, He had a kid who was home from school sick, and he was kind of talking about how it had been a tough week because, the you know, when you can put send your kid back to school, rules are a little different than they once had been. And he'd said, you know, last year, two years ago, she would have been in school, but now she's got to be home. And while we were having this conversation and also talking about product, and this was a customer, um, his daughter who was home came and brought him lunch um, and I saw it happen on the Zoom meeting and then we kind of joked about it. So maybe I got a little bit, I wasn't able to be at the customer site in the office as I might have been in the past, but I also got to recognize a little bit of the humanness of that guy who's a sharp kind of engineering type leader um, and what he's going through in some personal things. It wasn't overwhelming, but just, you know, the kind of challenges of humanness um, that are a little different. I I do also, I have discovered that I'm a huge believer in the value of getting out of the office, not just talking to your customers, like having a phone call or inviting them in for to your office, but actually getting into their contexts because Mm -hmm. you learn so much when you're, uh, I worked with this company that does ag tech stuff. um, And one of the things we learned was when you're outdoors, using a product it's a different experience than if you're sitting in a desk you got to have different kind of light and contrast and things that you're thinking about um it's kind of dirty and you know if you're out in a farm field and things so you learn that stuff when you get out um so i I would still advise people even in a pandemic find ways to you know get into the context of a user um especially those kind of unique situations like a farm field or a classroom or something
0: so so the basic rules still apply there there's some new hurdles and maybe some new nuances but like still yeah try to try to get out there yeah totally any go-to techniques that you're
1: using to kind of teach your teams
0: how to be more empathetic and how to listen better
1: um yeah one one thing I've I've started to do a lot more of I, I like brainstorming sessions. I've you know, had a long career where I've participated in a lot of, hey, let's all get together and throw out good ideas. And one of the things you had suggested earlier as we were talking about having this conversation is um, getting all the voices heard and does that become a little more difficult? A technique I've started to use a lot more um, is silent brainstorming sorts of things um, where you give teams time to do some reflection even even if it's just, we're going to start this session with ten minutes of you writing on this problem, and maybe you give them sort of a template and you know thing to kind of fill out. Um, but then you can get some of those more, I don't know, reserved voices rather than get it dominated by the extroverts. So techniques like that I love. You've you've probably heard of like I think it's an Amazon technique where you start by reading the memo um because you recognize that the thing that you were said you sent out as a pre-read nobody bothered to read or they just glanced at for two minutes so let's take some time to actually orient it's related to those UDA loops uh let's take some time to orient ourselves and spend time in silent reflection one thing I've gotten better at is uh silence in online meetings. <laughs> um, like we're going to be quiet now. Everybody just read through the document. Let's spend five minutes, spend 10 minutes. Well, Make your notes.
0: I-, I think we might need to have another conversation on the whole Amazon document and meeting structure. I've been reading about that too. And I actually really like that, but for a whole different reason that we'll talk about in our next. Oh,
1: awesome. Next okay.
0: Um, <laughs> Or we'll come back to it perhaps, but, but to your point on the, this, the silent brainstorming, I just did that in a, in a workshop. We're with a client, we're trying to um, look at how to improve the service delivery for an internal digital marketing team. And, you know, they've got internal stakeholders in. So we were writing essentially marketer stories as a marketer. Mm -hmm. I need X so that I can Y and, um, we started with five minutes of everyone essentially writing out the stories and then to get everyone's voices because we had we had a very senior leader in the room. So to get everyone's voices, we just went around and made sure everyone's, you know, posted yeah, their point up view. on the mural board. Yeah, and it worked great. It worked great. It, it was yeah. awkward, though, because people were, you know, oh, it's really quiet. But it yeah. worked.
1: Yeah, and and I think as we practice those sorts of techniques, and you mentioned mural boards and fig jam, and there's a variety of tools. And by the way, I I, I it drives me batty that two of the major players in this space are Miro and Mural yeah. which are essentially homonyms and I never know which one people are are even talking about but that's uh that's neither here nor there I,
0: I just wish <laughs> one would either buy the other one or sue the other one like let's just right. get this let's clarify this
1: <laughs> right we're wasting time right. here, are people. we talking about the Spanish artist or the large wall painting <laughs> that's what I always think
0: um, so Jason um You know, again, I I don't want to harp too much on the remote thing, but highly high performing teams in general, but I think specifically high performing product teams have got a strong sort of core of team norms and team culture. Mm, How do you how do you build how are you building stronger relationships with your team um, when we're all a stretched but b working remotely.
1: Yeah, I think you've got to be really intentional about it. Um, Another technique I've I've started to use is, you know, I'm a big believer in the kind of basic meeting hygiene of make sure you've got an agenda for every meeting you have. Um, But I, I literally try to put in place at the beginning of a meeting recognizing that the first five, 10 minutes of the meeting are going to be people just kind of gabbing and gathering. Um, and while it may seem like a little bit of a waste of time, I think that stuff's important. Even you and I in this conversation, we started out by checking in on how are our kids, etc. And I think it's important to, to call out time for that quite intentionally, especially when we're all just jumping from you know, Zoom call to Teams call to Google Meet call to phone call to emails, et cetera. It, it can be easy to forget some of the humanness. One thing I've observed, I, I'm certainly not unique in this, is that uh, in online meetings, it's tougher to read the room um, yeah, right. and and, uh, and sort of recognize, did somebody squint at this? Did somebody recoil a little bit? And I've, I've realized in this online meeting uh, model that we're all in um, that I was always a room reader in a way I didn't even realize Like, and I, I'm like missing it so you got to kind of intentionally say I haven't heard you Johnny speak up on this thing and I know this is an area of concern for you would you like to spend a little time discussing your point of view some intentionality about that kind of stuff I think is important
0: you need to make sure you're getting all the signals Yeah, so that so that you can you know, establish and, and sort of read the relationship, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was another client I was working with. Um, and my interaction with this client was entirely through email initially, sending messages back and forth. And I had asked a question about some other thing. And the person had made what was a joke, but I didn't realize it was a joke about one of his coworkers, And I thought I was suddenly like, Entering like an HR problem that I didn't know existed. Like he'd said, you know, so and so has a real hard time with blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh gosh, there's some like interpersonal dynamics amongst this client that I didn't know about. If that had been just said out loud and I could see them kind of laughing with each other and that they were both present, then I would have just known what it was. So I literally like called the guy and was like, so um, what's the, he was like, oh, I was just busting his chops. I was just giving him a hard time. You you, you miss a lot of,
0: you miss a lot of layers of of, uh, of social meaning. (laughs) Right, right. I, th- I think a lot of companies that run on annual years, the, you know, the annual financial cycle are, are about, they're either in the middle of planning for yeah. 2022 or, you know, if they're late, they're getting started. So as you're thinking about turning the corner into 2022, what do you want to do differently as a leader? You
1: know, yeah. what, what,
0: are, what are the things that you're going to try to work into your, to your mix for 2022 as a
1: leader? Yeah, it's funny, because my first answer is kind of a meta answer. You mentioned that um, companies are right now, which is absolutely true, doing their annual planning cycles. One of the things I'd like to do less of is overload the annual planning cycle. <laughs> um, and uh, so whether that happens now or next year, et cetera, But we tend to you know, get in these kind of big financial discussions about investment in key projects and initiatives, and certainly to plan well is important. Um, But I think it can put a a weird constraint on product teams if we do that, Um, because suddenly a product team, which maybe wants to be agile and nimble and responsive to the market, is also beholden to an annual planning commitment that some of the people on the team don't even realize they made um, because it was made at kind of an executive level. Um, so I, would love to, you know, de-emphasize some of the details that get planned out and some of that, those annual planning types of cycles um, changes I'd like to continue to see in 22. And I, I'm going to personally try to work on, and maybe this is related to what I said earlier about um, every business is a software company, but really continue, Stopping the uh, lines between the business and the technologists, um, and recognizing that we're all the business, and um, you know we're all just using technology and tools to make that business thrive. I'd like to do that more.
0: Well, um, can I can I pause on that one just for one second? Because yeah. to me, you know, you're going to forget more today about product teams than I'll ever know. But you know, to me, one of the values of a of a product team is that it sort of not obliterates that distinction, but it, it's a big step towards removing the distinction between the business and tech. You know, you're essentially saying, uh, forget about your traditional functional boundaries. We are now one team that is delivering this product that is going to require, you know, the full spectrum. So we're, we're in. Yep. Are you, are you seeing that model work in corporate America? And again, I, I, I think we both tend to work with, well, we see a lot of orgs that are trying to think and act like software companies. Are you seeing yeah. that model actually start to, to do its work in corporate?
1: I am. Um, and maybe I'm being a little overly confident when I say that. And admittedly, I do a lot of consulting work where, you know, one of the, the problems of consulting is then you leave. Um, but I'm seeing teams that work better when they have these kind of cross functional conversations you know just a simple like model like who are your teammates and if the uh, you know at work and if the answer is well i'm a you know java developer so my teammates are all the other java developers That's my team. We're the team that goes out and gets a beer together and goes bowling and, you know, gets to know each other and sits in the same area, you know, pre-pandemic. Instead, my team is the group of people who have all sorts of skills working on the same problem that I'm working on, including the market researcher and the copywriter and the, uh, and we're the ones who sit together and kind of think about like, how can we each use our skills? Um, those sort of models tend to result in more successful products. Uh, I'd bet on a, a, a cross-functional team with a kind of unified mission and sense of where they're going, um, that sense of psychological safety, they can question each other without fear of being you know, beat up for it, um, a clear sense of who their customers are, access to those customers and insights about those customers. Whether they're Scrum or XP or this flavor of Agile or that flavor of Waterfall, that team that's cross-functional, trusts each other, has a mission, knows who their users are, understands what they're trying to do. I'll bet on them every day to succeed.
0: I want to dig into that and get some free consulting from you, okay? Okay. (laughs) Uh, So imagine you're dropped into a large enterprise, for the sake of this argument, let's, let's assume it's financial services. I, I'm, I'm making that up and just caveat listeners that the, you know, this is not about a specific client. But um, imagine you're dropped into a large financial services organization and one of the senior leaders says, hey, I think that team has lost their sense of a unified mission. Mm. They, I don't know if they know what the soul of their product is could you help them? (laughs) Yeah. You know, how would you do that? You know, how how do you, how do you help a team, a product team sort of rediscover its purpose or its mission or that sense of, oh, we all know where we're going here.
1: Right. Um, There's a few thrusts to that. I think one is reorient yourself to your market, to your customers. Um, maybe it's we need to take a field trip and really understand the problem that we're trying to solve by observing the people who have that problem Um, so spending more time with customers and understanding them um, sharing then insights that we gathered and putting that together I also would spend time writing it down maybe we need to spend some time thinking about what our biases are, what our beliefs are, what are things we're kind of walking into this with, what I think about that other person and have some kind of open conversations to inspect those biases and beliefs. Um, But then, yeah, write down, what do you believe your mission is? What is the value proposition of what you're trying to do? Who are you doing it for? And again, there are all sorts of templates. I like the Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm for the blank who needs to blank. Our blank is the blank that blanks, unlike blank, we blank. I think I got it right there. And, and you can do that in kind of a mad lib type way, um, get the team to all say, we're doing this for the customer X who has this need. And someone else might think, oh, I thought it was a different flavor. I didn't think we were working for the you know, in a financial services firm. I didn't think we were working for the independent consumer. I thought we were working for the uh, you know, corporate manager um, of one of our corporate, corporate clients. And then we can get clear on like, who's the primary customer we're trying to serve? And what's the primary thing we're trying to solve for them? Um, and then you can start to get some of that alignment so spending time together spending time with the customer inspecting your biases and beliefs and getting crisp on what your vision is and writing it down so that it's clearly expressed and aligned to uh, that might be the way to solve that problem you you're describing
0: you know i love that I, I got into sort of a fake argument yesterday with somebody about this question we were talking about this like how do you how do you get the team recommitted. And it was a fake argument about, do we get people to focus on the business objectives or do we get them to focus on the consumer Mm. or what is the mix? Where do you start? And I, I landed where you did. It's like, all right, if we're not doing all of this to try to help some person go from point A to point B and come out of that journey better or that movement better, like what the hell are we doing? Yeah, Why bother?
1: Yeah, that's where the business results come from. You don't get a better golf score by getting better at writing down 76. You get better at it by getting out onto the golf course and, yeah. you know, and that score sort of comes. Just and the business results are a result of you having responded well to the needs of that customer. Um, yeah, the the
0: business results are a trailing indicator.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yep.
0: Uh, yeah. the, the leading indicator is, are you, are you literally moving people?
1: Right, right. Yep. Are they taking new behaviors, new actions because of things that you're doing measure that kind of stuff? And then presumably they'll renew or sign up or expand their footprint or some of the, or spend more money with you at some of the kind of key business results.
0: For sure. So Jason, what's a, what's a digital product that you wish you were, you were running and why?
1: This might sound like a bit of a weaselly answer because the way I think about it is what's the problem I want to be working on um, rather than what's a product that exists already now there is so one that I that I've been thinking about a lot and this is maybe just more sort of life's mission sort of things, but like there's an organization called the news literacy project and they're funded by, you know, some independent foundations as well as supported by a variety of news media organizations. Um, And I think, gosh, that is a meaningful mission that a company could be working on. And they're starting to build like ed tech type tools Mm -hmm. that flow into classrooms and help, you know, with like interpreting uh stories and recognizing biases within some things that you might read and being able to say this thing's yeah this is right on and this one might be a little suspect and i can say why i mean people are remarkably bad uh at determining the veracity of news they encounter um so projects like that is a problem i would love to be working on and thinking like what's an actual like product that can respond to that big problem Maybe the answer then becomes Facebook um, for what what product you'd be working on, but um,
0: well uh you're, you swung for the fence on that one I mean that that that's <laughs> I appreciate the ambition you know essentially, how do you help people navigate the uh, the crush of info and make sense of what's real and what's fake and what where the biases are and I mean let me know when you're done with that product.
1: <laughs> right. need that. Oh, you'll know because the world will be better. <laughs> right.
0: are, there, are there any consumer behaviors or patterns that you're seeing emerge that you think is going to change the way that you as a product leader have to
1: do your work? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think there's. There's changes in expectations that people have from technology, so much so that the technology becomes no longer the differentiator. Like we assume that you can match up data and log in and have an identity and deliver me my profile, et cetera. And the differentiator then starts to become like content and quality of the language and insights that you provide I think related, and maybe this goes back to our news literacy discussion, but related to that is everybody has a create, there's sort of a flattening of content uh, in the world um, that's been, you know, birthed by the internet where I can say something and publish it so that every person in the world can read it. Um, If they just have a Twitter account or something, just as well as, you know, the biggest publisher in the world can um so those sorts of trends require new ways of thinking about i don't know verification and truth and all sorts of some of these kind of big questions maybe i've just been thinking about these things a lot lately but that's a that's a consumer behavior that's a like public wide behavior like i have expectations about who's going to be able to say things and i'm going to be able to say things i'm going to be able to react to those sorts of things and every company whether they like it or not, they, they become like journalists. You know, I mentioned earlier the dog food company, but the dog food company maintains a social social media account and publishes blog posts and things. And suddenly they're in the business of informing a public about canine nutrition um, and having points of view on how to do that um, and can, you know, share that expertise through ways that, resemble even if they're not exactly journalism
0: yeah and not only do they need to publish that I think but a companion behavior pattern that I'm starting to see or maybe it's a consumer assumption is that the more information that a company like that dog food example puts out the more I as a consumer am allowed to have an opinion on that yeah yeah. I'm gonna share my opinion Right, right so um, you probably read this a couple years ago but there's a great essay by Paul Ford the guy that runs Postlight. Yeah, Postlight in New York. And yep. and he's got a great essay and I can't even remember the context but the the headline was essentially why wasn't I consulted.
1: Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and what he's getting at is that every every user of your product has an opinion and they take what you're doing with your product or your experience personally and they have a right to have one, uh, an opinion. And we as, as the people that are delivering that experience have to recognize that they want to be consulted and they will feel a sense of ownership. And I, I might be mischaracterizing the, the essay, but that sense of I'm making something for my users and they have the point of view of like, I'm ready to be consulted. Anytime yeah. you Like I have an opinion on this. I
1: I have an opinion on what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, he's a great writer and, you know, says some really interesting things about digital life as well as digital products. I don't think I've encountered that essay in particular. It does remind me. Um, I remember reflecting once and I I have an Instagram account and I do very little in Instagramming other than like, look at pictures of soothing nature photos (laughs) and art and things. Um, but isn't I remember that, Isn't
0: that what Instagram is
1: for? <laughs> right. But my, my, I remember my daughter saying, and I remember very specifically the way she expressed it. She said, whoa, dad has an Instagram. And I remember thinking her verb there and her sense of ownership was that it's mine. Like dad has an Instagram. Not that he is an Instagram user, but he has this thing. Um, and that reminds me of what you're saying about why wasn't I consulted? Like, that's my product. That's my Instagram. I have it. Um, yeah. And so I get to have opinions on what it's going to do for me, et cetera. So,
0: yeah. Um, so somewhere in 1959, some teenager was upset that their parents liked Elvis, too. <laughs> right. Like, right. Why, are par- why are my parents listening to my right. Elvis? Right. Um, so, uh, I want to ask a couple questions that we ask, uh, that we're going to be asking everybody, but so what is your favorite non-work book or podcast? So something that you'd recommend as, as a source of information.
1: Yeah. Um, So my answer is always, when someone asks me what's my book I recommend, my answer is always Moby Dick. I think that's the greatest novel in the history of the world. I love the way it explores everything from nature to God to human relationships to death to all of it. I just think it's phenomenal. Um, But I, I recently came across another novel, which reminds me of... Moby Dick it's called The Art of Fielding I don't know if you've ever read The Art of Fielding Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a novel Uh, you'd love it because it takes place in northern Wisconsin Um, and it's about it's essentially about baseball but it also has all these allusions to Moby Dick and seamanship Um, and it's about this kind of wiry little baseball player Henry Scrimshaw and his relationships with like becoming a baseball star and having the ability to field really well and losing his ability to field there's hidden within the title the art of fielding Henry Fielding was uh you know one of the kind of proto novelists of the English novel. Um, and I think so it's also kind of a pun on this is about what it means to be a book as well. But it, it has also that's another book I'm recommending. I've totally gotten away from anything other than just kind of literary delight in my answer there. Um, but that's that's another book that I've, I've recommended lately. Well,
0: I love that answer for a couple of reasons. One is um, I'm going to make a, an admission in public here. I have a master's degree in American literature. American literature of the uh, of the period of Moby Dick. And you've never <laughs> I have not finished Moby Dick.
1: Oh and, you got to jo- tackle it, Jim. <laughs> my joke
0: to my joke to my sons is that Moby Dick is my Moby Dick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's good. That's your white whale. <laughs> yeah, which 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 they
0: don't quite get, but it's it's a you know, English major inside joke. That's um, an
1: English major joke. I love it.
0: <laughs> uh, so I will. I will also go dig up the art of fielding. The other reason why I like the Moby Dick answer is that I, I have, I've read most of it. I will admit, and I have, I've read the beginning, most of the middle, and the end. Okay. I, read,
1: I, I admit some bits in the middle about how you like trim the blubber off of a freshly caught sperm yeah. whale right
0: i, I skipped over how to, <laughs> how to yield maximum uh oil um right uh but i did well those
1: are interesting parts when they like cut open the whale and go down into the heart of it and things and then oh, so anyway well oh. <laughs> the,
0: the, the reason i have been kind of telling my sons to read it is that it's a great example of a pretty unreliable narrator yeah um, I think I, I, yep. I don't I don't and, and I also um, have been suggesting that they read it because um, there's an argument to be made that Ishmael is psychotic mm. <laughs> and so read it not only unreliable but a crazy narrator so anyway awesome so what, what is uh, what is the kindest thing that someone has done for you
1: Um, That's such a great question. And I will first say that, you know, I've lived a life with just so much kindness and goodness from people. I'm incredibly fortunate because of that. Um, But when you mentioned this question before, I was thinking about it a little bit. You'll like this because you're a Wisconsin guy. And this goes way back to my childhood. And what I like about it, it is this story isn't just about what one person has done for me, but like a community. When I was a kid in fourth grade, uh, day after Christmas, my family was driving in our 1977 Plymouth Volari station wagon, wood paneling, you know, classic sort of family truckster uh, from our home in the Twin Cities uh, to my cousins in Milwaukee. And we're driving across Wisconsin. It's December, it's literally the day after Christmas, the morning after Christmas, and our car starts to smoke. And my dad's like, Sue, get the kids out of the car. And you know, we all get out of the car. My sister doesn't even have her shoes on. She jumps into the snowbank, we open the back of the car, we throw all our stuff out, including Christmas presents and things. Um, And the car literally bursts into flames. Our car starts burning up kind of between Toma and Black River Falls, Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, and it's winter, and we're like, what do we do? Um, and it wasn't a busy travel day because it was the day after Christmas. So we like climbed over a fence and walked through the snow. I'm probably over dramatizing the story, but there's literally a burning station wagon on the side of the road and a family with little kids walking. We like go find a house and we knock on the door, and they were so people were so welcoming and they're like, come on in. You know, I remember this little family giving us like. I I I specifically remember a bowl of M&Ms and that they said, your kids can watch (laughs) cartoons and things. And then we're still my dad and my mom are trying to deal with the fact that here we are in the middle of Wisconsin at the holidays and, and the police, of course, show up and a fire truck shows up. And then we're they're like helping us find someplace to get a car so that we can continue our trip and you know we're in small towns and things um, and the police are driving us to different towns where we could go to a lot where somebody's going to loan us a car um, that we can use and and I just remember thinking gosh I thought we were in this you know horrible tragedy where we're like literally our car's on fire and there's humans all around. Just offering kindness to this random family, um, so that they can continue on their merry way for their Christmas, and they're doing it while they're dealing with you know their own holidays, etc. So,
0: oh my God, what a great story! <laughs> It, it started out like a Cone Brothers movie,
1: and, <laughs> yeah, and, it, and then right. it ended like
0: a John Hughes movie.
1: Yeah, it kind of did. It was sort of a plane, <laughs> trains, and automobile meets, um, uh, I, I, I don't know, Fargo or something. Um, yeah,
0: that's good. Well, that's great. Well, Jason, thanks so much. I learned a bunch. It's really great talking with you about this.
1: Yeah, great talking with you as always, Jim. Um, thanks. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Business Drivers, presented by Farron. Find us at HelloFaron.com to learn more about the work we do, sign up for our newsletter, and find articles and resources to help you grow as a leader. Or find us on Twitter at HelloFarron or on LinkedIn. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. It's the best way for us to grow our audience. We'd love to reach more people with the work that we're doing. And if you have ideas or advice or feedback or complaints, please reach out to us on Twitter or send us an email at bizdrivers at that's b-i-z-d-r-i-v-e-r-s at helloferron.com until next time this is jim keen saying thanks